I turn your attention this morning to the book of Psalms chapter 56. The book of Psalms chapter 56. And we'll begin reading verse 1. I, I wanted to just read a couple of verses, but I just saw so many verses in here that I wanted to share with you, so I'm going to just read the whole psalm. The good news is that it's only 13 verses, so it shouldn't be too painful. Verse 1, Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me. O thou most high, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. Then he reiterates what he said in verse 4, says it twice again. In God will I praise his word, in the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. Another translation says, Thy promises are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. I want to speak this morning as we continue in talking about this series of uh, being free from fear. I want to talk to you today about the defeat of fear. The defeat of fear. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we're thankful for your people that have gathered in your house. What a privilege it is now, Lord, to open your word and to look to what you would have us to know I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and minds to the leading of the Holy Ghost. Help us, Lord, to respond to the preaching of your word. Let us draw strength from your word, God. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Right at the beginning, it it may say it in your Bible, as it does in mine, and certainly it is uh, an established aspect to understand the principle of this psalm but even right before verse one most of the bibles will say that this psalm was was written when the philistines took david or took him in gath this psalm was written as uh, david had been captured uh, in the city of gath you remember gath gath was uh, the city that goliath was from it was a, a Philistine city. It was a large city. And the Bible talks about five specific cities of the Philistines. And you know Philistines were sort of the arch enemies of, of uh, children of Israel. 
they warred against each other on a pretty uh, constant basis. And the city of Gath was uh, inhabited by the Philistines, but it was also considered a city of refuge. And David had fled to this city uh, when King Saul had made it clear that he was going to kill David. He was jealous of David's popularity in the nation of Israel. Uh, just four chapters earlier from 1 Samuel 21 that sort of tells the story of David at this point in his life. 1 Samuel 17, David has killed Goliath and people have uh, celebrated that victory. The Bible says that they got out in the streets and danced and sang, David has slain or Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And uh, the Bible talks about how the people honored and respected David. And from that point forward, he had uh, been there in the palace and there as a leader in the community and uh, had also um, been victorious in many other battles uh, since Goliath. He had turned from being a shepherd and man of uh, many skills and talents. Not only was he a musician, but he was a, he was a tremendous warrior. And uh, God's hand was upon him. And so he was very uh, victorious in many battles and, and uh, had, had taken many lives of the Philistines, not just Goliath. Uh, but his friendship with Jonathan, who was King Saul's son, he uh, it alerted David to the fact that, that his father was, was going to take his life. He was very jealous. And so uh, David knew he had to flee if he was going to survive. And so uh, David... Uh, as you read this story in 1 Samuel 21, David uh, runs for his life, uh, a fugitive from justice, as it were. He's by himself. At this point, there's no other men that have joined themselves to him. He's all by himself. In fact, when he goes to the city of Nob, which is the city where the, the priests live, uh, he meets with Ahimelech. Uh, chapter 21 in 1 Samuel tells us as we start this journey. And Ahimelech is afraid to meet with David. And says, why art thou alone? You say, well, that seems a little odd. Why was the high priest concerned about David being alone? Because the high priest had never seen David alone. Ever since David had killed Goliath and had been a part of uh, the, the palace uh, you know, group, they were leaders, they were warriors, they had entourages, they had servants. Uh, they didn't just like wander around town by themselves. And so uh, the high priest was very concerned, very nervous about meeting uh, with David and David uh, being by himself. And verse 2 of 1 Samuel 21 says, And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Lie, lie, lie. None of that's true. It, it, I, I'm telling you, the Bible's amazing because it doesn't, you know, sugarcoat even its heroes like David. It tells you exactly what was said, what was done. And you see the, the, the failings and the frailty of the flesh. Uh, David is fearful. David is running for his life. And David runs to the city of Nob where uh, the priests uh, live. Uh, where the temple is, he goes to Ahimelech, the high priest. Ahimelech's like, why are you alone? What's going on? 
And he says, I'm about the king's business. He's not about the king's business. He's running for his life from the king. There's no way to interpret that as being about the king's business. And oh, by the way, the king has told me not to tell anybody. It's a very secret matter. Mission impossible. Well, where's all your entourage? Well, I told them to go over here to such and such a place. They're all over there. They're waiting for me. But I've come here because uh, we need some bread. Now, David is concerned about getting substance. He's got to have something to eat. And so he's uh, trying to get not just food for now, but to try to also store up on some food. And uh, he knows there's bread that's kept there uh, at the temple. And the priest said, well, we don't have any common bread. We just have this holy bread. It was the show bread. The show bread was a part of the tabernacle that they would use to commemorate the fact that uh, the Lord had delivered them out of the wilderness. And that that bread was hot and it was fresh every day and it was always being... uh, Uh, remade it was to uh, commemorate and to remind them oh it's an amazing thing to have memorials in your life to remind you of the faithfulness of God and so here we are years thousands and thousands of years later still remembering the fact that the Lord would bring a manna from heaven and so every day there was this hot showbread and it was holy bread it was not common bread it was it was holy bread it was only for the priests only for the consecration Uh, even the priests had to consecrate themselves uh, under the Lord and and uh, the priest is like, well, we don't, we just got this holy bread here, and uh, it, it's not common bread. And uh, he says, okay, that'll work. And the and the priest is like, well, you know, it, it, it's holy bread. And David uh, uh, answered the priest and said unto him, of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days. So now another lie. Here comes another lie. David says, it's okay for you to give me and my buddies and the and the, the men that I've put to such and such a place, uh, of which there are no men, and there are no such and such a place. It's okay, we haven't been with ladies for three days, it's fine, you can give us the holy bread. So David, in his desperation, is now going to take from the temple what he thinks he needs to survive. Not only that, He wants to know if there's any weapons. Is there anything kind of weapons you can arm us with? Well, you know, David, this is a temple. We got we got the sword. The sword is here that you killed Goliath with. That'll work. Let me have it. David says there's no other sword like it, and he's right. I mean, it's a massive sword. You got it. Takes two hands to walk around with it, and so it's kind of been wrapped up and it's put on the other side of the ephod. Now, the reason that that sword of Goliath had been put there to begin with was to state emphatically and once again for it to be a reminder that the victory that David had against Goliath in the valley of Elah in 1 Samuel 17 four chapters earlier was indeed a victory that God had given him so we're going to take the sword we're going to take the evidence of that victory and we're going to put it in the uh, temple we're going to put it there in a holy place and we want to commemorate the fact that God not only God that provided for us in the wilderness with the, uh, the bread as a memorial of that, but also the sword as a memorial of the fact that God will fight our battles. And the Bible said it was wrapped up was on the other side of the ephod. Now that's, there's significance to that because the ephod is what would be put on when the priests would minister unto the Lord. It represented the presence of God as they would prepare themselves uh, 
for God's spirit and God's presence uh, in that temple. It's interesting that they had to step over the ephod to get to the sword. If we're not careful, we will bypass the presence of God and the things of God to pick up man's weapons. I said, if we're not careful, we will bypass the holy things of God to extract the things that we want to put in our hands, to put in our mind, to put in our spirit, to have a victory that comes from the arm of our flesh. David was not thinking right. David was at a point of crisis. He was running for his life. He wasn't thinking clearly. He was all alone. He was afraid. And he is operating in the flesh. He's lying, which the flesh will do to try to survive. He is taking things out of the temple that were put there to commemorate. It was a victory from God. But now because he's trying to survive, and now because he's fearful, he's pulling things out of the temple and he's going on the run with what he can put in his hand to survive. My friend, can I remind somebody in this building today that if you've ever had a victory, if you've ever been in the presence of God, you need to stay in the presence of God. Don't try to take what's been given to you and cast your pearl before swine. I've given this example before. I'll say it again because it's just so sad to me. It's so sad. These these singers, and I, I think of particular Whitney Houston, that are raised in church singing under the presence of God. And then they they, they get it in the world. I mean, there's that 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 talent, but there's a lot of people with talent. But when there's an unction upon them, it takes talent to a new level. And the world will, oh, come, we will pay, oh, we will make you a superstar. And all of that. It's not just Whitney, uh, Whitney Houston, Aretha Franklin. I mean, you go down the line. A lot of these musicians, a lot of these singers, they get their start as kids singing in the choir at church. And they grow up in the presence of God. But then all the bright lights come beckoning. And they get out there. And then you see somebody like Whitney Houston that is so talented and yet dies way too young with drug over to all this terrible stuff. And then her kids and all... I'm going to tell you something, folks. You've got to be careful. If it can happen to David, it can happen to anybody. There's none of us that are exempt. I don't care if you've been raised in church. I don't care if you've been in church for 30, 50, or 70 years. You are still a human being, and you are dealing with flesh. I said you are dealing with flesh. And if you're not careful, you'll find a way to justify. I'm sure David found a way to justify all this. But the bottom line is that he was operating in the flesh because he was fearful. He's operating in the flesh because he's having to run for his life. He's operating in the flesh because he doesn't feel like he has a choice. But oh, my friend, I've come to tell you, I'm so thankful that David found a way back. And Psalms 56 is the roadmap. You find a way back to the place of God and the things of God. Can I tell you, we don't need to pick up a sword and fight each other. We just need to put on the garment, the ephod, the presence of God, and join together with our brothers and sisters and say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but God's going to help me. I said, God's going to help me. And, and so he gives him the sword of Goliath, and he's got the showbread, and he's, he's on the run. Now, let me show you how David's not thinking right. Now David, he's got the showbread, he's got the sword, he's on the run, he's by himself. 
and he goes to the city of Gath. He goes to the city where Goliath was from that he had killed. And David thinks that he somehow is going to blend in. He thinks somehow they're not going to recognize him or, you know, now I know Gath was a big city, but they knew David. He was marked. There was wanted posters all over town. And David decides to go to the city of Gath. And they say, hey, is not this David? I mean, here's, an, here's another indication of how sin can make you just lose your mind. They, David, if, if they didn't recognize him for who he was, he's walking around with Goliath's sword. Hello? You've got the very weapon that was taken from our champion. And you're walking around town with it. Oh, my friend, let me just remind you about something. If God has blessed you, if the hand of God is upon your life, I want to remind you of two things. The first one may be more obvious than the second. First of all, you are never, ever going to be able to leave the presence of God and go into the world and be happier out there than you are in the presence of God. It just won't happen. You're not going to be more happy. You're not going to be more successful. You can think, oh, well, I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful I was raised in a Pentecostal church. But now I'm going to go out and I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. It ain't ever going to happen. You won't ever be any better off than you are in the house of God, living by the principles of God's word, fellowshipping with God's people. You're not ever going to get higher. You're not ever going to get better. You're not ever going to get bigger. It doesn't get any higher than the presence of God with the people of God in the house of God under the banner of the name of Jesus. It just won't happen. Because, first of all, the Bible says God is not mocked. So it's not going to be better. And here's the second thing. This is the thing I want you to sort of extrapolate from this scripture, if you can, in the story of David. If you have been a worshiper of God, you are marked in the spirit world. If God has ever given you a victory, now it may not have been a physical giant, but it could have been a spiritual giant. It could have been an emotional giant. Something in your past where God heard your cry and gave you the victory. When you didn't know how you were going to get through it, but God gave you the victory. Let me tell you about it. The enemy knows about it and you are marked. So not only are you going to go on the world and be successful, the enemy, they'll take you. Oh yeah, they'll take you. They'll woo you. They'll pull you in. They'll tell you you're safe here. They even may throw you some coins. But in the end, they're going to try to find a way to take you out. You know why? Because they know at any moment you could turn back to the Word of God. At any moment you could lift up your head and begin to worship God. You are a threat in the spirit world. 
So there's no reason to go live in gas. There's no reason to go live out there. You might as well make up in your mind. I'm going to be a worshiper. I'm going to stay in the house of God and in the things of God and love God's word. Jesus. So David's running for his life. If he hasn't heard yet, he'll soon hear that Doeg, the Edomite, chief of the herdsmen, going to kill 85 priests and their families, babies, cattle. Everything's going to be destroyed in the city of Nob. And David even, later on, you'll read it when he gets word about it, he takes responsibility for all of that. But he's alone and scared. He flees to the city of Gath. He figures he's safe there because Saul won't be able to reach him. So he's running from Saul. But in the process of running from Saul, he's running from God. So he goes to Achish, who's the king of Gath. A wicked king, a Philistine king. And he's recognized. And the people, maybe the people that have fought in some of these battles that are maybe home now, they, they begin to uh, see David. And they're very troubled about the fact that he's walking around town with this sword. And so they go to the king and they said, hey, what's up with David being here? Don't you remember who he is? And this is very interesting. They say to the king of Gath, don't you remember David? The women got out in the streets and danced and sang. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has ten thousand. The enemy knew the songs that had been sung in the victory of David over Goliath. Woo, my friend. You ought to keep the songs of Zion close to you. If you're in your car, if you're in your home, in your mind, in your spirit, just sing the songs of the Lord. My kids make fun of me because I sing and I don't know any of the words. I just sing and I make up words as I go. My 13-year-old daughter who gets great pleasure in correcting me, she's constantly telling me I'm singing the songs wrong and I sing anyhow. Because I've got the right to be creative in my own singing. <laughs> and I'll mix words together and verses and choruses and all that and I don't care who likes it or who don't like it because I'm not singing it for a performance I'm singing it because I want the songs of the Lord to be in my heart and in my mind day and night the devil hates it and that's good enough for me to keep singing it I don't have to be on key when I sing it sounds beautiful to me I sing in the shower, I sing in the car, I sing everywhere I go. Because you know why? I want to be a worshiper of God. And my worship to God is not confined to a Sunday morning at 1021 Emerson Drive. He's given you a song. You ought to sing every day when you get up in the morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. So they capture him. The servants of Achish said, this is the one they sing about. 
Oh, boy, they still irritated about that. That song was in their head. This is one they said. They capture him. They prepare to kill him. And the Bible says that David changed his behavior. Now, I know in studying this many times, change his behavior is always linked to the fact that David uses the insanity defense to try to get out of trouble. David starts to act like a crazy person. The Bible says he lets spittle run down on his beard. He scrabbles on the wall. And he's acting like a crazy person. Can I tell you all about something I did as a kid and all of you not leave the church? One time when I was a, just a young boy, we lived across the street from J.M. Fields. J.M. Fields was a store they used to have before Walmart. That's how old I am. And anybody lived around here long enough, you remember J.M. Fields and Zares? Some of you? Some of you know and you don't want to vote because it shows your age. <laughs> and I was out in the woods with my friends one day and we found an old busted wheelchair. And... Um, we, pick, we, You know, we were always out in the woods looking for treasure. We'd heard somebody had gone to the dump and found a suitcase full of money. That's all we needed to hear. We looking for treasure every day. We didn't have nothing. We found an old wheelchair, and so I rolled it home. And, of course, my parents didn't know anything about this. So don't blame them for the errors of their son. But this shows how merciful God is. So I got my, my mom would have these cans, you know, Del Monte green beans and all that. I got all them out and poured them in Tupperware bowls, sealed the top of it, put it in the fridge. And then I took the side of the glue and the paper off and I made my own sign. It said, help the needy children. I drew little wheelchairs on the cans, gave each one of my buddies the can. And I sat in the wheelchair and I pretended to be retarded. I did. I apologize to everybody. And so on a Saturday morning, we went over to J.M. Fields, and I sat in the chair. And like David, I had my head to the side, and I pretended that I didn't have any sense. And my friends collected money in the cans. And uh, at some point around 11, 11.30 that Saturday morning, they um, they said, our cans are full of money. And I said, okay, on the count of three, we're going to get up and we're going to run. <laughs> and so we did. I jumped up out of the wheelchair and we took off running. They were running with these cans full of coins. And I heard a thud and I turned around and looked and there was an older man that was sitting on a bench that had been watching us. He literally fell off of the seat. He thought he had seen an instant miracle right there. We jumped up. So we went in my room. That was the old days when you had shag carpet. You remember the old shag carpet? It was all different colors. And my kids, my buddies, the kids, they all poured out the coins on them. We were trying to count it and, and all that. And then we heard a knock on the door. David Ellis Myers! It was Bishop Myers, my dad. Open this door right now! It was like Goliath was at the door. <laughs> and so we were like trying to pull the coins under the bed. And they're all in the carpet and the shag. And we're pulling it underneath there and, and we all sit with our little feet on the on the front of the bed and we open the door and he looks and here's all my friends lined up on the bed 
their feet hanging over there. And he goes over there and just flips the bed up. And all of my friends scatter like roaches in the daylight. They're gone. And he sees all this pile of money and he says, where did you get this? And I said, Dad, people just gave it to us. He said, gave it to you for what? And I explained, I took him out back and showed him the old busted up wheelchair. And he said, I cannot believe you did this, David. And uh, he said, there, we live behind a bowling alley. I don't know if you all remember that Brunswick bowling alley right there on Babcock Street. This is down in old Melbourne down there. And uh, he said, they're having a, uh, a March of Dimes deal, so we're going to go and give the money there. People gave it thinking they were given to help kids in need. And, and uh, after I get through with you, you're going to be in need. But <laughs> for now, we're going to give it uh, to the muscular dystrophy drive. And uh, so I said, okay. So um, we went over with the money. We had, we had like $87 in coins. And uh, that's like a million dollars, you know, when you're eight or nine years old. So um, we went over there to the, to the bowling alley and uh, we gave the money to muscular dystrophy. And, uh, and then my, my dad left, went back to the house and my friends were coming over there. I said, okay, I'll be back. He said, I want to see you when you get done and we come back over there. I said, okay. So while we're at the Brunswick bowling alley, they said to, my, my friends had come in, and I said, yeah, they had been a part of it. We all raised it together. Although we did not tell them how we raised the money. We just said, we're giving it to muscular dystrophy. So they came and they said, you guys have raised more money than anyone else in uh, the muscular dystrophy drive. There's a photographer coming from the newspaper. I'm not making any of this up. This is the truth. They said, we have a trophy we're going to present to you. And we have a photographer coming from the newspaper. And so I said, oh, that's wonderful. So they came, the, the, a photographer came from the Florida Today, used to be just the Today newspaper up here. And they took our picture with a trophy and put it on the front page of the newspaper. Muscular dystrophy. And I'm thinking all these people that had given it, J.M. Fields, and, and people would w give money, and they'd say, well, what, who are you with? And my buddies would say, we're with him. And they'd look over at me, and I'd go, ah! And I would holler. And people gave to that. And now they put a picture in the newspaper. Oh, I'm telling you what, it was a crisis in the Myers household. Here's my dad pastoring First Pentecostal Church on Palm Bay Road. And his son was in a wheelchair in front of J.M. Fields and now is on the front of a newspaper smiling with a trophy. My mom was so upset. She said, Alice, they were rewarded for being deceptive. And my dad was like, I gave it to muscular dystrophy. What else do you want me to do? I apologize. My boys may be hearing that for the very first time. No, they. I can't help but but think about that as David is is presenting himself as being something that he's not. And the Bible says he changed his behavior. Now, I've always thought 
And I believe this is the primary reason that it uses that description, that he changed his behavior because he's pretending now to be something that he's not. But I'll be honest with you. If you look at the decisions that David has made leading up to this, it's not that far for David to present himself as being crazy. The decisions that he was making were crazy leading up to it. You see what I'm saying? So here's what I think. And maybe this is just, as I was studying this recently, I think that David changed his behavior in more ways than just presenting himself as being a crazy person when he wasn't a crazy person. Or at least he wasn't wasn't doing that involuntarily. I believe David changed his behavior because when you read Psalms 56, which is what David writes as he's being held captive by the Philistines, I think David changes his behavior because he goes back to the Word of God. And he goes back to who he was when he was just a young boy on the pasture lands taking care of sheep and his father and his mother and his brothers were not there. But David learned how to get alone with God. David learned how to talk with God. David learned how to be in the presence of God. David learned how he could begin to protect those sheep from a bear and a lion. And I believe David got back to that. Because when you read Psalms 56, you see that there is a transformation in David's character. There is a transformation in David's perspective. He makes up in his mind he's not going to try to do it with his own strength. He's going to begin to get back in the Word of God. He's going to begin to trust the Word of God. Yes, there's consequences. Even if you looked at my own life, when they found out I had severe scoliosis at 14 years old and told me I would be in a wheelchair by the time I was 25. Do you know the thought that came to my head when I got diagnosed with severe scoliosis? You're being paid back, David. You're being paid back. That's the stuff that goes through our head and our humanity. God's paying you back for what you did that Saturday morning at J.M. Fields. Now, I don't believe that I got scoliosis because of that. But I'm here to tell you that's the stuff the devil will put in your head. And now David is having to deal with the fact that Doeg, the Edomite, went into the city of Nob and not only killed Ahimelech, who had done nothing wrong. David had lied to him. Kills all their families, their kids, their cattle. The Bible says suckling the babies. Everybody's killed. And David has all of that to deal with. Now you got to remember this. Now David, he, he, was a, he was a musician. And David was on the pasture lands. And David was out there with the sheep. And David, uh, you know, he, he was a, a person that was melancholy. He was a person with a big heart. Yes, 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 all of those things. But from the moment that he killed Goliath in, in, in 1 Samuel 17, he was killing a lot of people. They sent him out on every battle. I mean, there was a lot of Philistines that were dying at his hands. And so for a period of time in his life, he had gotten to this other 
strength and ability that he had. And that was that he could take a person's life. And, and so he was now thinking this was his new identity. But when he's captured in Gath, and he's put in a place where there's no one to rescue him, there's no family around him. There's no friends around him. He doesn't have a group of 600 men that had joined themselves to him yet. He's running from Saul. He's running. Now the Philistines have captured him. And he doesn't know if he's even going to survive this. But oh, he begins to pen those words in Psalms 56. And I believe that at this point, David begins to change his behavior. David begins to realize you're not going to be able to do this on your own. I know you're fearful. I know you're afraid. I know you're running for your life. I know you're making bad decisions. But oh, David, you got to get back to what you were when you were just a young boy and you felt the presence of God. As you were tending those sheep, that same God has never left you. And I'm preaching to somebody today. You felt God as a child. You felt him as a teenager. But your journey has taken you a long way. I've come to tell you that same God that you felt as a young person is the same God that's been with you this whole time. Though people have walked away from you, and you've made bad decisions, God is still a faithful God. And God is just as close as the mention of His name. Fear will make you do things you never thought you'd do. It'll make you do something that you then will justify. I'm sure David had a way of justifying all of this. He was overcome with anxiety and fear. But I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't the clever design of David presenting to be a madman that freed him. I always thought it was. When I read 1 Samuel 21, I thought David just feigned himself to be a madman. And, and the king did say, what do you want me to do with him? You want me to bring him to my house? What are we supposed to do with him? Run him out of town. Get him out of here. I don't want him. Oh, I looked at that and thought, well, David was wise to have presented himself as being helpless. But oh, my friend, when you read Psalms 56... It was not David's ingenuity that brought him freedom. It was God, hallelujah, that came to his defense. When he records in Psalms 56, he shows the formula for this deliverance. And I want to tell you right now that there is a formula for deliverance. And it's given to us in Psalms 56. Because David's greatest enemy was not King Saul. And David's greatest enemy was not the Philistines. David's greatest enemy is what your greatest enemy is. Your own flesh. Your own fears. Your own anxiety. That causes us to react in a hostile, independent way because of survival skills. And the flesh wants to assert itself. But I've come to tell you that if you and I can grab a hold of what David got a hold of, there is a formula where you can defeat fear once and for all. And not live, not live captive to it because it's not geography that would save David. It was not good acting that would save him. It was not strength or cleverness that would deliver him. He had to dig deep. And as he begins to dig deep, he finds it in Psalms 56. He says it once in verse 4, and then twice he says it in verse 10. I will praise the Word. 
The key to defeating fear is the word. When you read Psalms 56, uh, he even gives us a little hint when he talks about his tears. He says, put thou my tears, in verse 8, into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? David has gone back to the Word of God. David has gone back to not just reading the Word of God. He's put a lot of tears in the Word of God as he's processing where he's at in life right now. And he begins to cry. He says, are they not in the book? And then he says this, Oh God, I will praise your Word. The Lord, I will praise His Word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. He said, i got to get away from this thing of thinking I can find victory with the strength of my own arm. I've got to get back into the Word of God. I've got to get back into the promises of God. And he begins to take the Word in whatever form he had it. And he begins to go back to the promises of God and the plan of God and the will of God. And then at one point he says in verse 12, Thy vows are upon me. That's the promises of God's Word. He's got to get back to a place where he gets a hold of the promises of God's word. Oh, I say to this great congregation of people, you got to get back to the Word of God. That's why Bishop talks about we got to read the Bible every day. And he wants to take people out to eat that have read the Bible through all last year. You know why? Because he's learned through the years. It's all in the book. you got to get back to the book. you got to get back to a daily reading of the book. Fall in love with it. There, there's a there's a phrase that David says here, and I want to unpack this for just a moment that I have with you, where he says, I will praise the word. This is something that I believe brings him out. He says three times in that chapter, I'm going to praise his word. And both times on the heels of it, he says, in God have I put my trust. So in other words, when David begins to praise the word, he begins to find trust I can trust God if I can learn how to praise His Word. How do you praise the Word? Well, first of all, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm not giving you the spirit of fear, but I'm giving you power and love and a sound mind. These are things, my friend, that come from the Word of God. You don't get power from hearing the news. You get power from the Word of God. You don't get love by listening to, you know, whatever the latest is out there in the media. You get love from the Word of God. Because when you get into the Word of God, you realize He loves me. He loves me. Even though I'm having a hard time loving myself, He loves me. There, there's, there's a lot of self-hatred that's going on in this world where people are hurting themselves and cutting themselves and thoughts of suicide and all of that, all of those things go back to a common cause of fear. It's fear that drives all of that. It is a, it is a cell. It is captivity that the enemy would try to put everybody in. And ladies and gentlemen, because you have the Holy Ghost does not mean you're exempt from it. You're not exempt from it. This is something that the enemy would try to deal with and try to put mental health issues on the children of God because uh, if the enemy can, he will try to cause there to be a famine of the Word of God so that it's not in our hearts and minds uh, and that we don't pick up the Bible anymore. And he wants to convince people it's just an irrelevant book and nobody can understand it. And it's probably not even true anyhow. It's just made of a bunch of fables. All of that is a lie from the pit of hell. That's right. 
Because if you get in the Word of God, you're going to get power and you're going to get love and you're going to get a sound mind. Luke 4, 31, and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished. This referring to the ministry of Jesus at his doctrine for his word. Everybody say his word. His word was with power. So the vehicle that God uses to disseminate power and love and a sound mind is his word. It's the Word of God that gives you power and love and a sound mind. You could have a doctor's degree. You could have four doctorate degrees. But it doesn't mean you got a sound mind if you don't have the moral compass of the Word of God to give you wisdom in your day-to-day decisions. I'm here to tell you, God wants to disseminate power and love and a sound mind. And it comes through the Word of God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That hearing denotes revelation. So then faith cometh by revelation, and revelation by the Word of God. In other words, hearing is not just the act of receiving audible sounds. It is the first step of revelation. Revelation means the making known of something that was previously secret or unknown in a dramatic or surprising manner. The Word of God brings revelation. It brings revelation into your own life. It brings revelation into the decisions you should make. It brings revelation as to what is right and what is wrong. Do you know what the definition of insanity is? If you look at it from a legal basis, the definition of sanity is when people cannot discern the difference between right or wrong. That's the same thing with spiritual insanity. When you don't know the difference between right and wrong on a spiritual basis, you don't know the difference between right and wrong on a moral basis, uh, that's spiritual insanity. How you get spiritual insanity? Because of a famine of the Word of God. That's why the Bible said man begin to do that that was right in his own eyes. You'll lose track of what's right and what's wrong if you don't have a Word of God as a basis for your life but there's revelation that's coming I said there's revelation that's coming in the parable of the soil Jesus says take heed therefore how you hear how you hear the first thing you got to do is hear the word. Amos 8, 11, Behold, thy days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Oh, my friend, you hear what I'm telling you today. There's a famine that's greater than the shortage of bread and water. David had bread. David had Goliath's sword. But David needed a revelation. He had to get back to the word of God. The word of God is my strength. The word of God is my source of help. So the first thing you got to do is hear the word. Everybody say, hear the word. That's why I'm glad you're here today, because you're hearing the word. That's only the first step. Revelation's coming, but it comes first with hearing the word. Second, receive the word. You can hear the word and not receive the word. You can hear and say, you know what? I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I... I you can hear, you can process audible sounds, but not necessarily receive it. 
First Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now you start to integrate faith into the process. Because you're saying, I've heard it, but now I want it to marinate in my spirit. So I'm going to receive the word. Oh, that's why I believe God blesses it whenever a preacher is preaching and the word of God goes forth and someone says, amen. Or someone says, preach it, brother. You know what they're saying? I'm not just hearing it. I'm not just here as a judge. I'm receiving it into my spirit. I'm saying it is even as you say. And when you begin to speak the word and you claim the promises of God's word, you're going to get to where David was when he said, I learned to praise his word. feeling the Holy Ghost to say this. Maybe this is for somebody that's here. I don't know. But when you say, preach it, brother, you're not praising the preacher. I want to make sure everybody's clear here on this point. When you say, preach it, I believe it. Amen. That's the truth. You're not praising the preacher. You're praising the word. I said, you're praising the word. You don't have to do it for me. I can preach in a library. But when you say, I will bless the Lord, oh, my soul. You're saying, I praise the word. I've learned that the word is true. The word is my strength. It's a terrible There's an auction in the word. There's an anointing of the word. You want to defeat fear? You want to begin to praise the word of God. You want to defeat fear? You want to bless the Lord at all times. I receive it. I receive it. It's the word. It's the word. David turned his life around because he got back to the word i said he got back to the word the word you got to hear it you got to receive it then you got to abide in it john 15 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you i hear it i receive it i abide in it that's why people don't understand this. They don't, they don't understand Pentecostal preaching. They're like, well, why you yell? Why can't you just stand up there and talk like a lecturer in a college somewhere? What you yelling about? Because I'm praising the Word. That's why we're yelling. This thing is alive. We're not just talking about some stoic book somewhere with a bunch of cobwebs on it and some kind of a literature, Charles Dickens, Tale of Two. No, no, we're talking about the Word of God that gives me power and love and a sound mind. And I hear it, I receive it. I, I receive it even when I'm preaching it. 
That's why there's life that's in the Word of God. That's why it's hard. I've, I've said many times, I'm just going to stand and just talk about the Word of God. I got I, whatever. My voice is gone. I, I've been battling with a, a call for two and a half months. I don't know what's the matter with it. Maybe I had COVID and didn't even know it. I don't know. I figured as long as you don't go get tested, you don't have it. <laughs> I'm getting in all kind of trouble. Brother Richie, get ready to take over. <laughs> My wife has prayed more during their sermon than she has for two weeks right now, I tell you. <laughs> but you say, I'm going to... I'm going to just read the Word of God. And you read it, and all of a sudden, it's like, boom. It's like an explosion. And you're like, look at verse 12. Scared some of you to death right there, did I tried to be good. I, I know that people like to, the preacher to sit on a stool and wear skinny jeans? I can't do that either. <laughs> oh, Lord, I'm having too much fun. <laughs> I can't do that either. I don't know how to be anything other than just me. But I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to apologize for. I'm not going to apologize for the Word of God. I know I got a lot of mistakes. I know I got a lot of failings. I know I'm not a perfect human. But oh, when I think of the goodness of Jesus, when I begin to preach His Word, when I begin to receive His Word, when I begin to hear His Word, it's like fire shut up in my bones. Fear's got to evaporate. Anxiety has to dissipate because His Word is power and love and a sound mind. Got to hear the Word, receive the Word, abide in the Word, love the Word. When you read Psalms 56, you see that David's got his, his love for the Word is coming back. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10 says, Them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They perish because they receive not a love. Oh, if you've got a love for the truth, hang on to it with everything you got. Because when fear comes knocking at your door, and if it hasn't yet, it will. I said, when fear comes knocking at your door, this is your best friend. <laughs> love the Word. Love the Word. Love the Word. And then last but not least, speak the Word. Acts 4.31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the Word of God with boldness. With boldness. Oh, my friend. The spirit of fear cannot live in that environment. Revelation is understanding that you hear the Word, receive the Word, abide in the Word, love the Word, and speak the Word. 
If you start speaking the word every day in your house, on your job, in your car, over your family, you'll begin to see fear take flight. Mm. You've been praying and you've been fasting. But I say now it's time to speak. Speak the word. Speak to the fear. I said, speak to the fear. David said, in God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. You need to quit living in fear of that boss that you're working for. Man cannot hurt you. I said, man cannot hurt you. Thy vows are upon me. You need to quit living in fear of that unsaved spouse. I said, man cannot hurt you. Oh God, I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from hell. Will not thou deliver my feet from falling? That I may walk before God. Watch this now. In the light of the living. In the light of the living. David said, I'm coming out of this dungeon. I'm going to walk in the light. Hallelujah. I'm not going to be afraid. (laughs) Oh, sometimes uh, you got to get your victory by yourself. Uh, David was all by himself at this point. Uh, He had to get his victory, though he was all alone. Uh, There was nobody there to receive him. There was nobody there to help him. There was nobody there to encourage him. Sometimes it's dark. Uh, Sometimes you're all alone uh, when you got to get this victory. But I've come to tell you, you're not alone as long as God is with you and you praise his word. You're not by yourself. You may have to find the victory by yourself, but you're not going to be by yourself very long. Because shortly after this, David is released, and the Bible says his family came to him. His family came to him. His brothers, the ones that were jealous of him, the ones that wanted him killed, the ones that were upset about how David always upstaged them, they came to him. And shortly after that, men joined themselves to David. 600 men that were in debt and that were discouraged and that were distressed. They came to David and they say, David, you don't have to fight by yourself anymore. I mean, they had the original SEAL team right there. 600 of the baddest dudes in the land that joined themselves to David because David had to find a way to get back to the Lord as my strength. The Lord is my strong tower. Yes, I'm afraid I'm a human being and I've made mistakes, but God is my helper. He said, I'm going to walk in the light of the living. Oh, I feel like preaching to somebody today. You've been in the shadows, but God's calling you into the light today. He said, I feel like I've been all by myself. God's going to help you. Men are going to be joined to you. Women are going to be joined to you. You're not going to be by yourself forever. He said, I'm going to walk before God in the light of the living. He came out of that. He was delivered from the Philistines. His family comes. Men come to him. And God gives him some men like Abishai. And Abishai is a warrior. Joab and these guys, they come to David's aid. And Abishai says to David, come on, you don't have to fight your battles by yourself anymore. Aren't you thankful God has given you a church, a family of believers, of brothers and sisters? Oh, my friend, don't die alone. Don't suffer in silence. Walk in the light of the living. 
I said, walk in the light of the living. God's going to put some people in your life that are going to help you. You may have to get this victory by yourself, but God's going to put people in your life that are going to be a strength to you. And it's Abishai that tells David when David now is an old man and he's still trying to fight giants. Because in your mind, you don't ever think you're old. And David's still trying to fight. And this giant had a brand new sword he just bought down at Bass Pro. Well, I may have added that. But it was a brand new sword, the Bible says. And he's trying to fight this giant. He's an old man. And he's got a sword. He's getting ready to kill David. And Abishai comes and says, David, we'll fight your battles. Watch this. Because he says, we can't afford for the light of Israel to go out. But David was in darkness. David was discouraged when he said, I'm not going to walk in the darkness anymore. I'm going to walk before God in the light of the living. Oh, my friend, here's what I want to tell you. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. It's not in my notes, but I felt like the Lord gave me this this morning. We were in the 830 service. When you begin to walk in the light of the living, you don't contain that light to just you and your family. That light spreads to people that you may never know about. You hear what I'm telling you? I said that light may spread to people that you don't even know. But they saw the way that you lived 20 years ago. They walked, they watched you when you went through a, a loss in your family and they saw how that you kept on worshiping the Lord and you kept on going to church and a little bit more light was shined. Oh, my friend, this, the Bible talks about it. The church has got to be a city that's set on a hill. There's got to be the light of God's love that shines out from us. You say, how can I do it when I'm suffering, when I'm hurting? When you get in with God's presence and into his word and fall in love with what God has given you and said, I'm not going to walk in darkness. I'm going to walk in the light of the living. Can I tell you, you're the light on your street. You're the light on your job. You're the light in your school. You're the light of the living. And the light that God has given you is going to spread. There's a ripple effect to revelation. Would you stand to your feet? My time is gone. Thank you so much. You've been a great audience. I said, there's a ripple effect to revelation. When you got a revelation of who Jesus was, when you got a revelation that He's my help, He's my source of strength, I can't do it anymore on my own. I've tried all the weapons of warfare that I've done on my but I can't do it anymore. I've got to just say, Lord, I need your help. And God comes to your aid. I'm here to tell you there's a ripple effect to that revelation. There's a light that begins to shine forth. It's not just for you. It's not just for your personal salvation. It's a light that's going to shine in a dark place. It's a light that's going to shine in Bavard County. Come on, somebody. It's a light that's going to shine to unsaved loved ones. It's a light God is going to cause what victory He's given you to spread now. You say, how do we start that? Here's what I want you to do. Raise your hands all over this building. Nobody leaving. Just stay here for just a moment. Oh, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to begin to speak right now the Word of God. The promises of God's word. Come on. I want you to speak it over your life. I want you to speak it over your health. I want you to begin to speak it over your finances. I want you to speak it over your family and your children. I want you to speak it over unsaved loved ones. Come on. Use your mouth right now. and Begin to speak the promises of God. I said begin to speak the promises of God. 
Come on, God's put a word in your mouth right now. I said, God's put a word in your mouth right now. That's it. Use your mouth and speak the promises of God. I shall live and not die. I shall live and not die. I will praise your word, oh God. I put my trust in you, oh God. Twenty-five years ago this year, they prepared my dad for triple heart bypass. As you can imagine, there's got to be fear, trepidation that's involved in a surgery like that. I remember going in the hospital room, and I said, Dad, are you all right? He said, I'm good. I said, you're not afraid? He said, nope, I was. But I'm not now. I said, why is that? He said, I was reading the word. And God gave me a scripture. And the scripture was simply this. I will live and not die. They said, you have 15, maybe 20 years. But even what we do after a while, we're out. But that was 25 years ago. 25 years ago. Something about the word that defies even modern understanding of medicine. I feel so much faith in this house right now. I feel like that God wants to give individuals a word that's very specific. Here's what I feel like we ought to do. If you need the Lord to give you a revelation of something specifically that you're facing right now, you don't know what to do with it. You're, maybe you're at a crossroads. Maybe you're trying to figure out what direction to go. But God's going to give you something from the word. You say, I want to receive that. I wonder if you just step out from where you're standing and just come to the altar. I know this is not for everybody, but if you can be honest enough to just say, I need an answer from the Lord today. And I believe God's got it for me. I, I feel in the Holy Ghost that some people have been facing some things that's caused a lot of trepidation. You're just not sure which way to go. Maybe it is a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue, but maybe it's something else. 
but I feel like you're going to defeat fear right now by hearing the word by receiving the word abiding in the word loving the word and then speaking the word you've heard the word you've been in this building today you've received it you've made your way down to this altar you've been abiding in the word and you love it or you wouldn't be here but right now I want you to begin to speak the word I believe God's going to bring a promise that's in his word to your mind as we pray right now oh I feel the Holy Ghost I feel the Holy Ghost I want you to begin to speak that promise whatever that is Maybe it's just a promise that you're going to live in the light of God's revelation. But I want us to come against fear right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, would you begin to speak the word of God? I speak the promises of God's word. I will live and not die. God, you made me this way. I'm not going to live with self-hatred. I'm not going to live with despondency. I'm not going to live in fear and depression. I'm coming out of the shadows today. I'm coming into the light right now in the name of Jesus. Over it. 
hope for 